We all owe them, but very few of us know them. They are the men and women of our military and first responder communities. And these are their stories. American Warrior Radio is on the air. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. You're tuned in to American Warrior Radio. This is your host, Ben Bueller-Garcia. We're coming to you from the Four Patriots Studios. At Four Patriots, they champion freedom and self-reliance and give your family the tools to help you achieve both. You know, it's brownout season. It's a good time to look into their line of solar generators and equipment. Use the code WARRIOR for a 10% discount on your first order, no matter what it is. When I received the email from the publicist for today's guest, the author of The Hunter Elite, Inside America's Secret Force Against Terrorism, I read the press materials, and then I had to call the publicist back to ascertain if this new book was a fictional novel or the real deal. I mean, no disrespect, but the subject matter sound like some of the characters in the thriller novels I've had that were written by veterans who've been on the show prior. She assured me that no, this was the real deal. I'm betting I'm not the first one to ask that question. Joining us to tell the story of how the Secret Service evolved from being a strictly defensive organization to a proactive group of investigators and enforcers is Leon Wagoner. Leon served in the U.S. Coast Guard Reserve and then went on to study journalism. Wagoner is the author of best-selling biographies of Neil Armstrong and Jodie Foster and wrote and contributed eight political books about the Clintons and the Obamas. Uh, just a few of them are The Amateur, The Truth About Hillary, and Blood Feud, all of which became New York Times bestsellers. Welcome to American Warrior Radio, Mr. Leon Wagoner. Thank you. Leon, I hope, again, I didn't insult you, but am I right? Are you, when people first see the kind of the summary of your new book, do they think that it might be a Tom Clancy knockoff? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's true, and it's it's fair enough because it's written in that vein, I think. But uh, the truth is that um, I spent three years uh, researching this book, and um, it was exhausting work because, first of all, a lot of ex-Secret Service people don't want to talk because they take the secret in the title of the organization very seriously. And uh, but finally, uh, you know, I made a breakthrough with uh, these two uh, married couple, actually, and their their code names are Ranger and Alvarado, uh, and they made a deal with me after I talked to them many many times uh, that if I would not reveal their their true identities, they they would talk, which uh, then I spent almost another year with them and um finally in, in the in the end to get inside the secrets of the secret service was was quite a chore I, i've talked to a lot of people myself included you know i consider myself pretty up on this we've had several secret service personnel on the show before but i had never heard of hawkeye cat uh much less the hunters i didn't know anything like this existed and and your book you say that it's so secret that even some people within the Secret Service themselves kind of shrug and, and curl their shoulders when they hear you raise the name. Yeah, yeah it's true. It's it's very true. Um, a, a lot of the old-fashioned members of the organization uh, felt that all you needed to protect the president was a thirty-eight and, uh, uh, and, a, and a black suit with a radio on the left shoulder. But it, it, it has proven over the years not to be true, that they are overwhelmingly outgunned by the opposition, particularly when, when it comes down to these terror groups who are actually funded by 
foreign countries in, in some cases. Uh, so it, it had to change. It had to change. And one of the, the, the real factors in it was when Ronald Reagan was, was shot by uh, John Hinckley and uh, nearly killed, uh, his, his wife Nancy made it her goal to change the Secret Service into a proactive group rather than a group that just sat there waiting for uh, lone gunmen to show up in a, a the book suppository window, uh, like in the JFK assassination. So Nancy was a, was a, a heavy hitter in this. She had a lot of friends in the government, and uh, she got them convinced to change over to a proactive, heavily armed group, and that's, that's what you know, a Hawkeye cat is. Um, they now travel with the current president everywhere that he or she goes, and um, they're armed to the teeth. They they have a, uh, a a limousine that travels in the motorcade with uh, just behind the president, and it's it's got six men sitting in it, and uh, they've got a machine gun. It's actually it's an uh, electric Gatling gun. The roof pops open, and a, a soldier, well, a Secret Service man, actually, um, is sitting in the chair, and he's got this machine gun in his hand, and uh, it's mounted. I mean, now he's holding on to it. And uh, it's just immense firepower. And it's never been never been used, fortunately. Um, and and the, the reason I say fortunately, particularly, it, is that in a situation like that, Typically, the president is in an urban area, is in downtown Washington or New York or whatever, and uh, there would be casualties, civilian casualties, inevitably. Inevitably, Leon. I'd, one of the things that I wondered, I almost, and I told you in our pre-interview, I, I was almost hesitant to do this show, but I have to presume that everything that you wrote in the book has been vetted by other people, and you're not giving away any secrets. It just sounds so fantastic. I, you have kind of James Bond that a guy pops up out of this SUV with the, with the chain gun. But coming back to this, so one of the things that makes the Hawkeye Cat so special is these are not normal Secret Service agents. A lot of Secret Service agents are maybe former military, maybe former law enforcement. But these are hardened, in many cases, battle-hardened soldiers, and they're equipped like soldiers, not like law enforcement. Right, exactly. And I mean, they, they have no handcuffs. Uh, they don't take prisoners. That's not what they're cut out to do. They're, they're soldiers. And uh, they're going to let the um, regular Secret Service take over if it's just a situation with a, a lone gunman or something like that. But if if it is an assault by a terror group, that's when they kick into to motion. I guess, fortunately, that hasn't been done yet. But it was, uh, if you go back just a, a little bit, uh, Nancy Reagan really used all the power she had, which was substantial, uh, to do that. Then they, they, he had recovered, of course, from his, from his wound, and um, they retired and were living in their retirement home in, in Bel Air, California. Then a man uh, who is clearly deranged broke into their, their house and tried to kill them. And he, he knocked Nancy down at one point. And uh, in the meantime, the Secret Service 
were in another room watching a game show on television, and uh, it was turned up so loud they couldn't hear all the, the crashing going on in the kitchen. Finally, one of the Secret Service men thought he'd better check in on them, and uh, he, he did, and he finally stopped it and captured the guy. Well, yeah, I'll tell you what, we're going to have to take a break here for just a couple of minutes. I want to uh, come back and share it with folks, because that was one of the things that stood out in your book to me as well, that so many of these situations, like the Reagan family home invasion, that I had never heard of. And, you know, you'd think that that would have made front-page news all across the country, but apparently not. I think what happened was, to some degree, the Secret Service played it down yeah. as hard as they could. And the Los Angeles Times ran one little piece about it, saying that a man had stumbled onto the property and had, had been arrested. And, that, and left it at that. Uh, it, you know, didn't go into any of what really happened and how close they came to being killed. Ladies and gentlemen, that's just one of the sometimes bizarre but certainly frightening stories you're going to read in The Hunter Elite by Leon Wagoner. When we come back, we'll tell you some more of those stories, talk a little more about Nancy Reagan's role in including, uh, creating this exclusive group so secret that even some of the people within the Secret Service don't know they exist. And some of the cases they've been involved with covering lots and lots of presidents, things you haven't heard of. And we'll give you more of a chance to look inside the, the mindset of these amazing warriors. And I thank the God that every day there's people like this out there protecting our leadership. You can find over 500 podcasts at AmericanWarriorRadio.com. Please share these important messages. We'll be back with more with Leon Wagner, the author of The Hunter Elite, Inside America's Secret Force Against Terror, in just a few seconds. Welcome back to American Warrior Reader, ladies and gentlemen. This is your host, Ben Bueller Garcia. We're speaking with Leon Wagner. Leon has written just an amazing book called The Hunter Elite Inside America's Secret Force Against Terror. Um, it's a fascinating book. It's an easy read. It reads sort of like a novel, but it's all true. None of this is made up. And, and Leon, I've been mentioning before, I'm still amazed at some of the stories that are in here. And just to confirm, sir, this was vetted and you're okay we don't think the Secret Service is listening into our broadcast right now, but I guess we would never know, right? Right, exactly. You were talking about Nancy Reagan and, and really the um, the inspiration, the impetus. She really hammered hard for the creation of a a stronger, a more aggressive unit when her husband, Ronald Reagan, was almost taken. Uh, by, and let's, I want to back up a little bit because I, as much as I'm amazed at some of the information that you brought forth in this book, you cited a figure that presidents get six to eight threats per day, and right. the Secret Service and the FBI and the, you know, the the marshals there be involved. I guess the Capitol Police have to sort through all this and figure out who the real threats are. Hinckley, who was successful in, in shooting President Reagan, he's really a case of just really slipping through the cracks. I mean, they had this guy, right? Yeah, well, he was arrested in Nashville, Tennessee, for uh, trying to board a plane with a loaded uh, handgun, and they let him go. It changed everything, of course. But, um, uh, yeah, he, he was a non-entity, and um, they just ignored it. Now, his original intention, as I understand it, was to shoot President Carter, but he, and it ended up shooting President Reagan. 
Hey, do you have a number? It seems to me I read in the book somewhere. I didn't post noted it, uh, Leon, but you had a number of what, how big this list is, and it's divided into several sections. There's the, okay, we looked into them. We think they're just harmless wackos versus any time a U.S. leader is going to be anywhere within 250 miles of these people. We're putting a hunter on them. Exactly. But in, in the case of, of Hinckley, uh, he was, his plan was to uh, kill Jimmy Carter, as, as you mentioned, at the Grand Ole Opry. And uh, there, was, there was no secret about, about that. Now, was the, the, the day he was arrested was the day that Carter arrived in Nashville. And uh, it was, like I said, it, it just was allowed to go on. And, uh, you know, he, he, he should have been in prison when he tried to kill Reagan, but he wasn't. You know, there's always the, the and it's, this is from your book, I can see from your research, this is actually true. I mean, these people literally sign up to, to take a bullet for the president. In this case, one of Reagan's Secret Service agents did. And I, I find it interesting. And, in yeah, Reagan was a pretty tough guy, right? But you describe how the Secret Service agent, when he, you know, he basically shoved him and got him into the back of the limousine there, the beast, uh, so quickly, he thought he had actually cracked Reagan's ribs, and then he realized he had actually gotten a, a bullet fragment pretty close to his heart. That's right. And it was, at that moment, they were they were headed back to the White House, in in which case he probably would have died. But um, but the, the the agent who incidentally became very good friends with Nancy Reagan up until the day he died. They were very close friends. He noticed finally that there was blood and uh, ordered the limousine to turn around and head to George Washington University Hospital and uh, and then saved uh, his life. And you know, Nancy to this day you know, would, would agree that uh, he's the man that saved uh, the president's life. There's another story in there I really liked quite a bit, Leon, because we're going way back in the time machine and uh, Teddy Roosevelt, and again, I didn't realize there was a, an assassination attempt on him. Some guy literally shot President Roosevelt when he was out on the campaign trail as a bull moose, and apparently this, it sort of deflected off his eyeglass case. And, and tell us the rest of that story, because that was, I don't want to say it's an un-Reagan thing to do, but it really spoke to the character of, of uh, Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah, he wasn't... He, president then he was uh, uh just running like you say on the bull moose ticket for you know to try to get reelected which he never was but um in making this speech he realized that he had been struck by a bullet and he was bleeding and the, the bullet had lodged inside near his heart but he would give a 45 minute speech in, in in that condition and uh uh lived to tell the tale though and what a practical guy he basically is according to your book, he coughed a couple of times to see if there was any blood coming up out of his mouth. And when there was, he was like, well, I don't have any internal injuries. I guess I might as well, might as well go on with the campaign. I, like I said, Leon, I've had other Secret Service agents on the show before. One was a female Secret Service agent that had the honor of, of working very closely with, with Mrs. Reagan. But I'm guessing what I'm finding from your book is, particularly with the Hawkeye cat, these big, bad, just mean-looking dudes on purpose, the relationship that they would have with their, what's the what's the word, it would be protectee or their principal, how, what do they call their... The protectee. Okay. Um, yeah. With the protectee is always not not always a good one. I, I think in your book you talked about how uh, President Trump, for example, was very, really got to know the detail and, and really wanted to know the details of what 
what they were doing and how they're doing it and, and, and appreciated the fact that they're willing to take a bullet for him. And, and one of the quotes in your book talked about one of the agents said, look, there's no room for politics in this. It's about protecting our, our principle. But then there are some others like the Biden administration. They're just not big fans. And in fact, he attempted to, to get rid of the unit altogether, if I'm not mistaken. Right, right. And there's one story that I tell is that uh, the president, Biden, who's then the uh, president-elect, was going to his seashore house in, in Rehoboth. And uh, he looked behind him at the uh, Secret Service uh, car, which had Hawkeye Cat in it. And he noticed that they had about four rifles that were slightly sticking out of the windows. He threw a fit. And uh, Speed dialed the head of the Secret Service and told them that he was, he was making him look like a Banana Republic president-elect, and he didn't like it, and he wanted to see those guns hidden. And uh, naturally, they, they had no choice. They, they did it. But um, it confounded the, the Hawkeye cat men who, like you say, I mean, they're out there. They will take a bullet for this man. And he just didn't show them any love, to say the least. You know, as you mentioned, uh, he tried to get rid of them. He tried to get the, the whole thing dissolved, but uh, was unsuccessful, fortunately. And in some cases, my understanding is they, the, the agents, have got the power to overrule the president when it comes to security. It goes back to when JFK, on that fateful day in, in Dallas, he wanted to be seen by his public, and he, it was a campaign stop. He told the Secret Service that he didn't want to, they have a metal roof that they can put bulletproof and he didn't want that. He, he wanted just to have it open and uh, they went along with it and of course that was the hinge of fate and, and he died as a result but it, it, it's kind of like lying to your doctor you know, right. I mean it's a very bad move to make I tell you what, folks, when we come back, we're going to introduce you more to Ranger and Laredo. Those are, of course, our code names. They're not their actual names, but two of the main uh, sources for Leon and Ray in this book. And, you know, Leon, talking about irony, I learned that, uh, of course, when people think about presidential assassinations, many of us go to the Lincoln assassination. And the, there was the irony in there was he had just approved the formation of the Secret Service on the day he was assassinated. Uh, but apparently um, John Wilkes Booth didn't get the memo. Ladies and gentlemen, your host, Ben Bueller-Garcia. We're talking with Leon Wagner. We'll be right back after these important messages. Stick around. Welcome back to American Warrior Radio, ladies and gentlemen. This is your host, Ben Bueller-Garcia. We're broadcasting to you from the Four Patriots studio, where they champion freedom and self-reliance and give you and your family the tools to do so. Visit fourpatriots.com. That's the numeral four, patriots.com. Check out their amazing line of products and use the code WARRIOR for a 10% discount on your first order, no matter what that is. We're talking with Leon Wagoner. He's the author of, among other books, his latest called The Hunter Elite, Inside America's Secret Force Against Terror. And, Lena, I mentioned as I'm reading through this book, I'm just amazed at the kind of stuff that I'm discovering. But a lot of the source material, it appears, came from these two agents that you mentioned, Ranger and Laredo. They're a married couple. 
take some time, if you don't mind, and introduce us to each of these unique, fascinating characters. Ranger father was a colonel in the U.S. Army in the Rangers, hence the code name. Uh, Laredo was also an uh, Army brat and uh, traveled the world with her, her father. Her mother died when she was very young, and as she says, as Laredo tells me, that she had to take over the role, really, of being the wife in terms of keeping uh, things going while uh, her father was, uh, was at work. So it was a tough thing growing up. They met at the University of Texas and uh, fell in love because of one thing, because they had that in common. They were both Army brats, and they both wanted to be in, in the Army. There was no two ways that they weren't going to be in the Army. Laredo fell in love with him because, uh, like I said, they had so much in common, and he was brave, and he was unlike most college kids in the day. I mean, he didn't have long hair. He you know, didn't want to protest the war or anything. And uh, she was the same way. She told me that, um, you know, most girls my age wanted to dress like a princess. I wanted to dress like a soldier. And uh, she was very proud of that. <laughs> so. I tell you, what kind of girl wouldn't fall for a guy that takes her to the scene of one of the largest mass shootings in American history on the first date? Yeah, exactly. And uh, he later said that he knew that the fact that she not only took that and, and had fun with it, really, to see what, what it was. But one of the gory details as well. And, uh, you know, he said most women at that point would run away. <laughs> I would have never seen him again. But they, they, were, they were a match. They were a good match. And, of course, we were talking about the tower at the, or that sniper at the University of Texas. That was, what, the 60s, I'm guessing, right, Leon? Yeah. yeah it was a, a horrible mass shooting. Yeah. Um he killed a baby in his mother's lung. I mean, it was just terrific. But um, it was ironic that they would both go into the business of preventing things like that from happening. When I tell you, her her dad had quite the foresight because Laredo wanted to kind of sort of go into the Rangers, you know, that area of expertise along with her soon-to-be husband. But her dad had a different path for her. Explain to us how she got diverted. He told her that in the Army have plenty of soldiers. What we are in need of is somebody who can handle the new terror, which includes biological, chemical, and nuclear radioactive bombs, uh, dirty bombs. And um, he told her that she should, she should go to the best university she could find on these subjects. And... Um, I can't say what because she told me not to because it might narrow it down as to who she is. So she, she did what he suggested. And um, then, it, as it turned out, the marriage was strengthened, really, by, by it because they had this thing in kind of worked together. And uh, she came over to Afghanistan, and um, he had led a raid into uh, Afghanistan and uh, discovered what turned out to be a ISIS lab and uh, it looked like some sort of poison. So he made arrangements with uh, her commander to come over to Afghanistan and look at this and, and diagnose what, what, what exactly it was. So she did, and uh, it turned out they were, they were trying to make ricin, which is a, a, among other chemicals, but um, it's the most deadly in the world. It's a thousand times more deadly than strychnine. And there's no cure at all. And uh, 
uh, it was a, a big a big find, and um, they uh, obviously got rid of the destroyed the lab, and uh, um, they they had a uh, gunship, a helicopter gunship, fly over and just fire away, just blast away, because I mean this was the epitome of evil, really, you know, and uh, they they saved the the day and in, in a, in a very big time leon did you could you get a sense in, in researching and then publishing this book so often there's another example i want to come to after the break but so often the 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 protectees and the rest of us don't even know that these instances have occurred these quiet professionals you know take care of the bad guy and and life goes on but i got to tell you honestly the as surprising as some of these stories were in your book, it was the this element of it, Laredo's job, and the the potential threats out there in the the chemical, the biological, the radiological weapons that just really put a chill up and down my spine. Um, because that's just you know it's one thing for a lone gunman up in the you know the tower, but if we've got a couple of fanatical guys that are looking at you know taking rice and and you know converting it into an aerosol and spreading that you know, all around the city that the president just happens to be in, that's a bad day, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and at one point, uh, the uh, terrorist group, uh, ISIS and, and Taliban, uh, who were virulently anti-Semites, um, had a plan to uh, fly over Israel and, and drop Bryson, uh by the, by, by the ton. And they could have wiped out Israel. I mean, it it, it was a, such an evil plan. Um, but uh, they both, Ranger and Laredo, got um, promotions uh, and uh, bronze stars with uh, a D for Valor uh, for uh, finding this lab and destroying it. The um, I, I would guess this is a 24-hour job, Leon, and there's, there's a number of citations in your book where both Ranger and Laredo that... that bat phone is buzzing in the middle of the night and they've got to go out. I, I think that I mean if I had I will never be in their shoes, thank goodness, but I think I'd much rather be Ranger because to me the the threat is, is there and it's obvious where Laredo when she gets in that chem suit she has, and in most cases she's walking into the building by herself um, she has no idea what she's walking into. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, I think one example was um that a DC policeman uh, who is really t- deserves a, a a medal for McDowell noticed that as, as he drove past the back end of the White House territory ground, he saw he saw these men in uniforms of uh, uh, of, of the city uh, sanitation, and uh, it was a a Sunday uh, night. And he said it's very suspicious. Uh, unless it was an emergency, uh, you know they w- they wouldn't do that. So he had his desk uh, contact the uh, DC uh, government and uh, to ask if there, there was an operation going on uh, like that. And they were assured that there was not. It had nothing to do with them. And uh, uh, the, the thing was that the tunnel that they were in actually went right to the White House grounds and they uh, were arrested and uh, then 
Laredo was given a job to go to the, the rented house that they had mm-hmm. in downtown Washington and uh, see what, what they were doing there. And she found, again, there was a Ricin lab. And uh, it, it is, it's, it's interesting to me that as she goes into this building, by herself, of course, there's an FBI car sitting out front with FBI agents. There's the D.C. police. And uh, she, she said, you know, I, I look at these guys and, and, and waved, and uh, they were just glad that there was me going in that damn house and not <laughs> and not them. Leon, I tell you, we got to take another break. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, I want Leon to share. I mean, my generation, we grew up with Buck Rogers. Leon is going to share the story just almost too bizarre to believe of a real-life x-ray beam. You're not going to want to miss it. Stick around. Welcome back to American Warrior Radio, ladies and gentlemen. This is your host, Ben Bueller Garcia. We're speaking with Leon Wagner. Leon's got a fascinating book out called The Hunter Elite, Inside America's Secret Force Against Terror. It describes the elite, even amongst the elite, a division or a unit within the Secret Service called um, Hawkeye Cat. And, and Leon Cat stands for counter-assault team. Counter-assault team. There we yeah, go. Right. Uh, Leon, um, a lot of great stories in this book. I, I use the word great advisedly. A lot of frightening stories in this book. The one that just seems like something completely out of science fiction. Tell us about these two yahoos that were looking to build literally an X-ray gun that they wanted to fire at the White House and how bad that could have been. Well, one of these guys was a technician uh, who had worked with uh, radioactive materials as part of his job, you know, in a peaceful way, in a constructive way. But he had had a thing about Obama and uh, it, it sounded to me like, um, you know, it was a racial thing to some large degree, but um, he, he knew what he was doing when it came to radiological equipment. And uh, he built a, uh, a ray gun, basically, that would, that would spray radioactive material through the air through radioisotopes. And um, the idea was he was going to park the, the truck, a, a big truck, with this ray gun in it next to the White House and beam it into the White House and would have killed everybody in there. And um, he came very close to doing it and uh, until you know, he, he was finally uh, nabbed. But the device was then sent over to a lab where Laredo worked at the uh, Aberdeen Proving Grounds in Maryland. And uh, she examined it, took it apart, and she said it was fiendishly clever and would have worked. No question, if she had no question in her mind, that it, it would have been successful. And the thing is that by the nature of radioactive uh, warfare, the people who were subjected to it, uh, including the president, would uh, not fall ill immediately. Uh, they wouldn't even know that they had been uh, sprayed with radioactivity. So they would have gone home, given it to their families, uh, they, they would have gone to the movie theater and given it to half the people in the theater. And there would have been mass death. And it would have spread so far around in the Washington, D.C. area that uh, it would render 
the nation's capital uninhabitable for probably 100 years. Uh, it just would have been one of the biggest disasters ever to become a nation. And, you know, that's that's why I say this is one of the things that, that frightens me so much, electromagnetic pulse and then these, these sorts of potential weapons, because there are evil people out there. You cited them and gave us several examples of them in your book. Some of them are just plain old crazy, but it's once, I mean, you worry about both, right, if you're Secret Service, but it's guys like this that, because really, they could have done the deed, driven off, be on the other, you know, be in Hawaii for that matter, before anybody started to realize there was even an attack. And like you said, the collateral damage of something like this is just, it's not just the, the human casualties, but the way it undercuts trust in government. And I often think that that's, that's the goal, certainly, of some of these bad actors as well. Right, and, and it would have spread to the food chain, uh, in, inevitably. People who work in grocery stores, people who work in dis- distribution companies, would all have it, and the radiation would, would have colluded all, all the food. And when something like that happens, it destroys the credibility of a government, really, that they can't protect the people from such, such a basic thing. Leon, in your research, did you ever get a sense of what uh, President Obama's relationship was with the Secret Service and Hawkeye Cat? Did he just sort of wasn't a fan but put up with them, uh, recognize the importance of their mission, or something less than that? I think he was much better with, at it than Biden. Um, he, he didn't actively dislike. He wanted the Hawkeye Cat guys who, who don't wear suits and don't wear uniforms. They, they wear combat fatigues. And uh, he said, I, I just don't want to see these guys in the White House, uh, and especially during the hours when we had visitors, because they would, it would just cause talk and, and concern and... Uh, but but other than that, he he, he was pretty tolerant of well, them. I tell you, what, I'll give you my opinion, not the Jasper. But anytime I saw those guys coming, I knew there was going to be a problem. I'd, I'd follow everything they said to the letter. There was a, the reason I bring that up. So you mentioned the the X-ray. There was a second situation where they saved a uh, president's life potentially. And if you talk about fiendish, um, tell us a little bit more about El Loco. When Biden was first president, he wanted to crack down on the. Uh, drug cartels, the Mexican drug cartels, for a very good reason that, you know, they were f- polluting uh, the drug uh, chain and causing all, all kinds of horrible damage. So he did. He, he, he really cracked down on them and made, made it difficult for them to operate. And so so difficult, in fact, that they decided to uh, put a warrant out for his death, a million dollars uh, for the guy who could... Uh, Kill President. Uh, yeah, let me interrupt you there. So this this is Obama though, not Biden, correct? Yeah. So he was playing golf. Obama was uh, up in uh, Nantucket, where he goes uh, for holidays. Uh, always did during his presidency. And the Secret Service. Uh, again, this is one of the things about arguing with the Secret Service. They they said we can't protect you there, Mr. President. You know why, why don't you you golf at Andrews Air Force Base, which we can close the base down. And, you know, we've, we've got thousands of soldiers there to, to protect you. And he said, no, don't be silly. Uh, you know, you guys can take care of it. So they realized that they just had to flood the place with, with agents. And uh, the hunters and, and Hawkeye, as well as the regular agents. And uh, But the guy was a master of disguise. He, he called himself El Loco. 
uh, he, he had blood all over his hands. I mean, he had killed dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of people. And frequently he, he would cut their heads off uh, as, a, as a, a souvenir. So it was, it was a tough situation. Finally, at the last minute, they saw an old woman walking across the golf course. And um, they knew right away that this has got to be a loco because, uh, you know, there are not that many, like, elderly women are in that situation. So um, they grabbed him, stopped him. As it turned out, after he was examined, arrested and examined, he had terminal cancer. And uh, that's why he was doing it and, and doing it in the way that he did, because he, he wanted to go out in the blaze of glory. And he was hoping that he would get to shoot Obama and then get killed by the Secret Service. That was that was his plan. And uh, but they, they the Secret Service they, they told me we got lucky is is really all it amounted to. And uh, they uh, never mentioned anything about it to Obama because that's uh, just not what they do. So the first time Obama may be hearing about it is when he reads your book. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was a little scuffle, and uh, some of the reporters asked asked him what what had happened, and he he said uh, nothing. It was, uh, somebody was uh, on the in the golf course who didn't belong there, and uh, it was just kind of an understatement. But that uh, they you know just avoid telling him. What do you hope for people to take away from your book, The Hunter Elite? I think that. These people are brave. These men and women are brave soldiers in the service of America, and they we should be proud of, of our of our warriors. And um, I think there's too much of the opposite uh, in in this country in this day and age. And I suppose it goes back to the Vietnam era, but um, it, it's terrible. And I hope if I can convert one person. Uh, who feels negative about uh, the military, you know, by this book, um, I, I'll be satisfied. I'll be happy. And where can folks find out more about your writings and your book? I assume this is available on Amazon and some of the usual outlets. Yeah, and Kindle, uh, you know, all, all, all the regular uh, outlets. Actually, just one last question real quick, and you don't have to answer this, obviously, because I don't know if it, it calls for conjecture or opinion. Is the fentanyl crisis, in your opinion, Leon, is it um, is this a purposeful attack on the United States, or is it just opportunistic drug lords, or a little of both? It's both. It's both. Okay. Yeah, it's definitely both. I mean, they're, they're making tons of money out of it. And, and you, you notice the reports. They, you know, they find like 50,000 pills, enough to kill the state of California. And uh, it, it's an incredible situation, and I, I wish that uh, Biden would um, do at least what Ob Obama did, uh, but he apparently doesn't have the heart to do it. Okay. Leon Wagner, appreciate you spending your time with our listeners today. Ladies and gentlemen, check it out again. The book is The Hunter Elite. This has been your host, Ben Bueller Garcia. Visit AmericanWarriorRadio.com. Until next time, all policies and procedures are to remain in place. Take care. You've been listening to American Warrior Radio. Archived episodes may be found at AmericanWarriorRadio.com or your favorite podcast platform.